I mean, we were having a conversation about predestination not too long ago. I need to understand that time and place of where that theology came from also. Right, right. You know? That's right. Right. And so, how that's also been used to keep people enslaved and oppressed. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a slave because clearly this right. was God's will. <laughs> right. You know, it's like saying, well, like, well, none of us know that we're elect, but right. I mean, let's be honest. I'm elect. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> Welcome to episode 91 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. You can catch new episodes weekly as the Reverends Shannon Meacham, Ogan Holder, and yours truly, Brian Burkoff, address and engage what's happening through a theological lens, usually with a good brew in hand. Um, speaking of good brews if you're hearing my dog go crazy in the background because i am actually getting my wink delivery right now wink is our sponsor the wine club and they deliver superbly crafted wines right to your door likes happening in my door right now and my dog's going crazy but you too can get wines delivered to your door with all the noise if you got dogs by visiting trywink.com slash pt live for $20 off your first order and other savings. Even better, how about three bottles on us? You can call, leave a voicemail, 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. Shoot us an email, info at pubtheology.com. Uh, give us some questions to discuss, comments, anything, and we will send you three bottles on us. All you pay is tax and shipping. We pick a winner every month and congrats to, to zane zane uh who left that voicemail uh last week we played it or week before and it's a great picture with him on facebook with his three bottles that he got from us so you too could be having all this chaos in your house and have wine delivered Ooh. can't wait to see what they sent me and do you want to join us for a live recording of our 100th episode join us at the wild goose festival july 12th through 15th in hot springs north carolina our topic will be, is it time to go beyond faith, finding life and meaning in these dark times? The Wild Goose is a gathering of progressive spiritual thought leaders, artists, and activists centered on spirit, justice, music, and art. Get your tickets at wildgoosefestival.org. So which, wait, which of those categories are we? Are we progressive spiritual thought leaders? Are we artists, activists? Like, yes. like, I'm like, how did they let us into this whole thing? Yeah, yes. <laughs> I think right. in the thought leaders category for their world. Yeah. We'll, we'll claim it. There you, go. there you go. And friends, you can also join our conversation on Twitter or Facebook using hashtag PT Live. And today uh, we discuss the assertion of Reverend Dr. James Cohn, who sadly died this past Saturday, uh, that any theology that's indifferent to the theme of liberation is not Christian theology. And so we'll chat a bit about what might what such liberation 
uh, might look like? And also, what do theologies that are sort of non-liberation theologies, what are they focusing on? What are we drinking today, friends? So I am drinking a Unibrow Brewery. Yes. Um, I'm so I've, I'm like all self conscious now because I totally messed up the the DC bra brewing. <laughs> I shouldn't so even have said anything. Head, right. I shouldn't so, have said anything. Um, no, because those of you that know like said something on Facebook, and that's great. Like, good for you. Like, I'm all about being corrected. Anyway. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, Blanche de Chambly, um, is a unibrow. It is a Belgian style white ale, uh, brewed with coriander and orange peel. And those are all magic words for me. Love it. So good. Great. Um, Belgian orange peel, coriander. Yes, please. <laughs> exactly. Ogan, what you got? Ogan, we have lost your mic, so maybe I'll share what I'm drinking. No, no, here I am. Here I am. Okay. Sorry. I was muting myself because it was more background noise. It is like bedlam in, in here today. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy. I don't know what's going on. But anyways, I'm uh, doing an Owl's Brew Rattler. That's my jam. There brew Rattler? Like Owls like or, or Brew Radley? No. Owl's yeah, Brew Radley. is the Owl's Brew is the it's the, it's the, the brewing company. The brewing company. Rattler is the style of beer. Oh, that's, it's so close to Boo, Rad, Boo Radley. I just want it to be a kill a mockingbird. So amber ale blended with Darjeeling tea, hibiscus flower, lemon peel, fruit juices, and agave nectar. So I've never had beer and tea before. You know, I've, got, I've had beer and all kinds of juices, but beer and also, tea. Also, that beer doesn't like to come out of the house. Little known fact. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, that was the Boo Radley riff. I'll stop right there. All right. So I am drinking uh, from Anderson Valley Brewing Company, uh, a Holy Ghost. Nice. Uh, let's see if there's a description on this. Um, no description, but they are in Boonville, California. It is a solar-powered brewery. Sweet. And it should be a nice summery brew, and it is reaching high seventies here today. So what? Loving that. I know we're we're having a warm spell too. I'm loving it. I almost recorded outside, but decided it'd be a bad idea. Oh, so we are it's mid sixties here, but tomorrow is supposed to hit eighty. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. But boom, yeah. Ooh, this is tasty. Seriously. Mm. All right. So, would your life be better or worse if you knew the time and place? where you would die. Oh, definitely worse. <laughs> no question. No question. Because in a, in a weird way, I don't find any freedom in the thought of knowing when I would die. I think there's freedom in uh, trying to live as if tomorrow is my last day, you know, living totally in the now trying to live a totally authentic, fulfilled life. If I knew, for example, that I wasn't going to die for exactly another 10 years from today, um, I would make much different life decisions that necessarily wouldn't be the best for me. Right. If you get what I'm saying. <laughs> right. So, well, and what's, you know. what's to the, um, I know I'm not going to die for 10 more years. So, what's the harm in reckless behavior or? Ah, right. yes. Would it give you a sort of invincibility feeling before then? Right. 
But here's the thing. It is that very reckless behavior that what might lead to your death. Might lead to your death in 10 oh, years. It's a catch-22. <laughs> it is yeah. a catch-22. So, so knowing that I am, like, not just mortal, but knowing that I don't know when that mortality is going to end, you know, again, frees me to be fully present now. Like I said, live every day like it might be my last. Make choices like that. Still anticipate a future but, but kind of balance off those two and and not worry about it. Yeah, I think about this a lot and I always fall back on the, I don't want to know. I mean, I don't actually sit around thinking about it a lot, but you know, like it's a question that comes up sure. um, in, in our line of work, especially when people do get diagnoses at times that are told you have a span of, right? And so that kind of conversation comes up a lot of, of, what if I knew, what if I was told, you know, that I had six months or something like that. Um, and so for me, the question is less like, what if I knew from birth the day I would die? Or like, what if I was told I had one month, six months, a year, two years, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I still go with, I don't want to know. And yet I, I also think um, there comes a point where if it's like a week, I want to know because I want to, you know, like, mm. and then so <laughs> I kind of, feel like it a, a very similar to like end of life issues kind of thing. My, um, my, you know, my policy is there's going to come an age for me where you're, you're not going to do everything possible. Right. But until that day comes right now, do everything possible. And for me personally, that has a lot to do with my children. My children are at an age that do everything possible. And then like in another, say, 20 years, maybe 10, 20 years, I'm going to go, no, if this, if I get to this place, let me go. Right. Just stop. Yeah. Um, Cause that's where to me, whatever recovery looks like is worse than death. Um, but et cetera, you know, you know what I'm saying? Were you guys with your, um, um, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, end of life plan about keeping you alive on machines and stuff. Where, where are you with that? What is the word I'm trying to say? Your DNR. DNR. Your, your, yeah. That, yeah. That's so right the, now, right now it's do everything. <laughs> um, I do have a, like, if I'm in a coma for more than a month, like after one month, you know, go right. with the doctor after that. Right. But until then, do do everything possible. And that's where it's like, that's not a forever thing. That's a until the day I change my mind, you know. Right. Kind of sure. But that's, that's where what, I am right now. You, but I'm 30. You, you want them to try and keep you going for a while? Uh, I don't know. I, I think, I don't remember. I, I think I've had this conversation and or written out somewhere. But I think it's, you know, if you can put me out of my misery, feel free kind of thing. I like how these opening questions are like supposed to be, you know, light and breaking the ice. We, we went straight to death. And <laughs> okay, but we deal, like we deal with death on a regular basis, you know. Like, we but think about it for the do. for the question uh, about would a would life be better or worse if I knew the time and place? I I think I agree that it, I wouldn't want to know, and it would be worse. And I think even if it was like you know a full lifespan. Uh, and then some, I feel like if I knew that time and, and date, I would like fixate on it and I wouldn't yeah, be able to true. stop thinking about it. It's like, I know I'll probably die around then, if not a lot sooner, but it's that the not knowing, I f- there's a freedom in not knowing. And if you do know, I feel like 
that co- that colors everything. And maybe it wouldn't be for the worse because, you know, sometimes, well, nearly often people say, you know, I regret I didn't do X, Y, or Z. Or if I'd have known this was how much time, I would have done more. Mm-hmm. So I think there is that aspect of if you did know, maybe you would get yourself in gear and do some of the things that you say you'll do someday because you realize someday has a limit. But I just feel like I don't want to know. <laughs> Despite I feel like those I would upsides. Just sit around and drink and, you know, like I feel like I, my life would actually, I would, it would motivate me to do less and not more. Ah, I yeah. Like I do. I'll Knowing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, think I, mean, I would, I think I would start doing less, but then get bored with it, especially if it's, you know, the death days a while away. Right. <laughs> get bored with that and then do some stuff. And then as it got closer, kind of, kind of, you know, rein it in. But I'm also wondering if, if these are the answers that we've made peace with because we know we can't know. Right. Yeah. There's never a way to know. Right. right. Outside, outside of a, you know, a, a, a um, diagnosis that, you know, where they can say right. you have six to eight months or something. Yeah. Right. So you the question, the, the question Sorry, says, if you knew the time and place and David on Facebook says, so theory, theoretically, if you avoided that place, you would never die. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure that's what the question is implying. I mean, but movies have dealt with this loophole. many times. Yes. <laughs> he found the loophole in a movie like that and it looper or something. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you avoid it, then death, death has its, its appetite already needing yeah, to the, find you the, and it'll find another way. Right. right. Death yeah. will find you. <laughs> Death finds a way. So a, a morbid first question. Uh, but yeah, this, go, dude. <laughs> but this beer is amazing. If you like, if you like sours or ghosts, this nope. holy ghost is just lighting up all the all the taste buds. It's nice. Yeah. Morbid morbid question, but the beer is tasty. <laughs> That's what Jesus said too. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Uh, tremendous. <laughs> but you know and so so you know not to return the morbidity but um as you know my wife passed away three years ago uh and um three years ago next month in june um from cancer and it's been it's been fascinating for me to watch how i relate to life since she passed away mm-hmm. i mean she was 42 which is like you know you barely starting to get into midlife here you know you're still young Yep. So it's been fascinating to watch me do both the, both on one end, the be more uh, present and prepared, but at the same time going, well, shoot, I might be gone at 52. So like, what the hell? Let's, let's just live a little. Right. right. Yeah. So, so there's both, totally. there's both aspects of it happening at the same time be, because it, it, as I, as I said to someone one time, it wasn't, it, it stopped being like a, a, a hypothetical what mm-hmm. happens, yes. you know, when you die young to be like, okay, so that happened. Now, now what's it saying about how I live the rest of my life and the choices I make um, and stuff like that. So there's that again, piece of, you know, do what I need to do to make sure I'm still present for my daughter. Like Shannon was saying, um, right. a, a good example of that is, um, you know, it runs in my family, high blood pressure. And I was diagnosed with that um, years ago uh, when Jennifer was still alive. I didn't want to go on a medication because, you know, me and the pharmaceutical industry, 
not, not such great friends. Um, and so I was using a lot of natural and alternative means to bring it down. And it was coming down very slowly. I mean, it was still, astro- it was, it went from astronomically high to like, like dangerously high. <laughs> so mm. it was coming down slowly. But then after Jennifer passed away, I was like, you know what? I'm not playing with this anymore. Let me go right. get myself some medication and get myself healthy so I don't accidentally stroke out in front of my child. But at the same time I'm doing that, you know, there's other choices that I may have said, you know what? I got time for this later on in life, but now I'm like, maybe I don't. So let's do them now. Right. So kind of the both hand. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'll throw in too. So I um, have a, Gen- genetic disorder that um, some women in my family have had and they die in their early 50s. They have died in their early 50s. And I, one of the things that I realized, I didn't even think about that. It's funny how I didn't even think about it as we asked the question. And mm-hmm. um, so in my late 20s, they kind of figured out that there's not really a cure, but there's a way to deal with it, right? And so one of the things that I realized, it took me another, you know, five, six years to realize that I was trying to accomplish so much in my life very quickly mm. because I really did believe I was going to die young. Right? I, right. And I still may, like, I don't know, but I mean, none of us know. Kind true of for me. all of us. Yeah. It's true for all of us. Right. But I, I realized that I had this very, um, like I'm not a high strung person, but I had this need to accomplish very quickly uh-huh. and to do things immediately and right now. And, straight from college and know what I was going to do and go straight into seminary and get ordained and get a job and, and get married and have children like all very quickly so that I could experience the most of life that I could. And I, I think that's really fascinating. Um, and some people live that way. You know, we have Ogan and I both have a mutual friend that has had a heart transplant that, you know, like she's lived with that her entire life of like, I don't know, you know, when this right. is going to happen. So there are people that this is a more realistic question yeah. than it is in us for in theory you for know? sure or we like to pretend that it's in theory you know that kind of thing that's right and i think next week shannon you should pick the opening question because brian just went like straight straight for the judge what makes you think i'm less dark than brian you know you are he doesn't that's the point of making you know you are so you know what to avoid asking i was ex- i was accidentally dark is that what happened yeah he just all blissed out there what be better or worse so you know you're gonna die or yeah hey you. completely theoretical guys this is hilarious oh, <laughs> what is a deaf question ever light <laughs> oh my word Wow. Although it's interesting because all of us are talking about the freedom of not knowing, right? That mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. knowing gives us freedom. And, and I, I will just jump into like our topic and our questions for the day because I do feel like, so we're talking about James Cone and liberation theology, right? And, and one of the, I've, I've talked about this. I think we talked about it last week of like that, there's belief and there's freedom in the not knowing, but believing versus the people who know. Right. And that there's, there's, um, absolutes. They live in a world of absolutes. I believe that there are some absolutes, you know, kind of thing of, of treating each other well and all of those things. But, um, moral imperatives is more of what I believe rather than absolutes. But, um, people that live in absolutes live in a very different way. And I feel that that is not as free as God intended us. Uh, 
and that kind of thing. And, you know, Brian, it's interesting because you asked that question of like, you know, James Cunts, basically, if it's not liberation, if it's not coming from liberation, it's not of God. And I immediately was like, what other way is there? Yeah. Like, what I scripture is, um, even though it doesn't actually condone or it doesn't, um, it isn't anti-slavery. Like, I think there's a serious argument that God is anti-slavery, like any imprisonment, if you will. Right. It's everything is opening up and freedom giving. And, and yet I've grown up in an era where liberation theology was always around. I'm, I'm like liberation theology has existed my entire life. Um, womanist theology was born out of it. Liberation theology yeah. is there, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it's also my perspective of, I don't know before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for listeners who aren't familiar with Cohn, he uh, is considered by many to be the father of black liberation theology. Um, his, uh, let's see, his book, uh, Black Theology and Black Power in 1969, shortly after the death of Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, sort of this... Uh, landmark book uh, bringing together uh, liberation themes specifically in the black American experience. Uh, so he died Saturday, uh, but has influenced so many thinkers and, and theologians. Uh, and so it's interesting, you noted that you grew up familiar with and, and hearing about liberation theology. And I would say my, mine, and maybe you so can I did, that. I didn't grow up. Yeah. I'm just I, saying I, just, I didn't grow up hearing it. Yeah. But it has existed, so yes. it's yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, live I before you. a time where it didn't. Exist. I Does that make oh, sense? okay. Now I hear you. Now I hear you. See, I lived right. in a bubble, so even though it existed, it might as well not have because it was unknown to me. And in fact, my my is that, uh, God, is that God rest him. Those, is that why you're still asking those death questions? You're still in that bubble. He's still in the bubble. <laughs> oh my word! All right. Yeah, so, um, God rest him. Uh, my grandfather wrote a book. Uh, about why liberation theology is wrong. Wow, really? <laughs> really? So Ooh. what's the argument? Ooh. What is well, it? Have you read it? it? From I have read it. it. It's been a little while, but um, I think the gist of it is that the gospel is uh, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for the eternal salvation of the elect. And anything outside of that is sort of, uh, you know, an accessory and you know, extra and not the core gospel. And he, and he would see much of liberation theology as sort of disguised Marxism and socialism and liberalism and all the isms that are, sure. you know, are that's, scary to people. That's, that's very white privilege of him. And, you know, to give him credit, he, he, he gets more, he's much more academically uh, trying to, or theologic, you know, he's adding theological depth to his position that I'm not giving him credit for in my terrible recap. But I highly disagree with it, all of that said. I, you know, as I was reading his book, I'm like, I, okay, I understand this. And I grew up with this perspective because he was, you know, very active in the Christian Reformed Church, which I grew up in. So I knew his view inside and out in terms of Reformed theology. And as I f was reading his arguments against liberation theology, I was thinking, I really like the sound of this liberation theology. I'm going to explore it more. <laughs> And and fascinatingly enough, as the as the black person on the show, I've never heard of it because I didn't grow up in America. Right. So yeah. I grew up in the Caribbean, where it was again all about, um, in in a, in a fairly evangelical um, context as well. 
traditionally um, and for the most part, most of the people I grew up with in this church were were poor on the poorer side. Mm-hmm. So the so our minister, his focus was more on the prosperity type gospel, his twist on the prosperity gospel, how to how to use this to in in some sense, I guess, liberate ourselves from this burden of poverty and use these teachings to get ourselves into a more prosperous place, yeah. uh, which is which I guess is one kind of liberation. But um, but but I would but, say would wouldn't you say that that maybe is focused more on the individual and their relationship oh, to God and their it's not so yeah. much about communal or societal liberation. Yes, and he got he got very prosperous in the process. Which whole, <laughs> that tends to happen. Exactly. Whole other discussion I won't go into right now. <laughs> well, and and I I, I don't. Gosh, this has been twenty years, right, since I studied this. But um, I mean, since I really studied it, and and um, yet I think that liberation theology was part of the response to the upper you know not not completely to i mean prosperity gospel wasn't at its height yet no um so this came around like like right um what is considered which is not like the end of the civil rights era quote unquote and like the death of martin luther king jr and things like that so it it grew out in america it grew out of the civil rights movement even though that's you know black like black theology kind of stuff but um it was from what I understand, Gutierrez, um, which is kind of also father, if you will, of, of liberation theology, was That's more right. of sort of um, Latin American liberation. Latin theology. American, right? That's right. Catholic so, liberation so, theology. Cla- yeah, and poor, same same idea, right? Poorer area and oppressed people, and God is for us, and here's all the ways that God is for us. Um, and the prop, I think that one of the reasons why people have such a problem with that in America is that, you know, um, or at least let me put it this way, white people have a problem with that in America is that, you know, we are, we are the oppressors, not the oppressed. And so, you know, how, where does that yeah. leave us? That leaves yes. us bad people, yes. you know, and our refusal to look at America as empire, our refusal to look at us being Pharisees, Sadducees, not, you know, Jesus disciples, right? Like, um, and, and, and we're all both, right? We're both. We're not one or the other. We're, we're not good or bad. We're not, it just depends on who, where we are at any given moment and who we are in the story. Right. It works best when we realize we're all here in service to each other. Right. Um, Oh, for sure. Um, as, as opposed to not, but, but, but to your point again, this is, this is why we are having this outcry from, and again, painting with a broad brush, the outcry from, you know, white male America who's saying we are we are not being heard anymore. We're we're losing our status. You know, you have that whole like really, I I having trouble comprehend the, um, uh, what do you call it, the incel movement. You guys heard about this? The, no. The in, the involuntary celibate. Have you not heard about this group? So, no. so oh, wait. So this was the guy. Who, it's it's a big thing on Reddit. Um, the the uh, the the. You remember the guy who um, in Canada who took a struck and mowed down some people a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yes. Um, and originally, you know, the whole 
thought was, ooh, look, you know, the Muslims are doing this again. It turns out, no, it's just some white dude who right. belongs to the incel movement. Oh. So there's a group of guys who now call themselves involuntary celibates, which basically means n- no women want to sleep with them. Oh, I heard about, you know, yes. Right. So, so now they're- And they're, they're bitter. And they're bitter about- They're very bitter. They're like, how come everybody's having sex but us? Right. And blaming everybody except maybe themselves, you know, right. and, and, you know, I can be in an empathetic place of their suffering, but at the same time, I'm like, well, dude, you're in a group like this. That's not helping. <laughs> Involuntary right. celibate. You know, yeah. wait, but, like, but, how do you, I mean, how is this like, this is a fight club thing? Like, <laughs> It's really done? weird. Pretty, I don't, pretty much. I don't really want to know. <laughs> but the point is now, now that we are, I think, generally in society, moving to a place where we're finally beginning to recognize acknowledge and do something about the inequalities right you know here's the people that have always been in power crying boo-hoo and thinking they're losing as opposed to realizing no we're not losing others are gaining but that doesn't equal our loss to love the playing field that's right bringing everyone up does not mean we are losing we just don't have the advantage anymore and i think liberation and i and the thing i love about liberation theology is it's really, it's really, you know, addressing or when it was, when it was created is addressing, I think that on what might've been an unanswerable question of, you know, wait a minute, here we are, we are reading the gospels, we're believing in God and we believe in, in Jesus's story of, of bringing the spiritual freedom, but the outside of our life looks like this, right? You know, and we're still being lynched and we still you know, being or, or vote still being suppressed and we still being treated as second and third class citizens. How are these two things matching up? So, so good for creating or at least um, tweaking a, a, a theology to say, how can we make this apply specifically to this, to this group and this oppression? So let me ask this question. This isn't on the list. So sorry, Brian, I'm going rogue. Um, <laughs> Go rogue. Do different groups of people need different types of theology? I, I, I think at certain times, yes. Be- so the yes, reason why I-, I ask this is because you mentioned God is anti-slavery, yet, you know, we have passages in the New Testament where Paul is telling slaves, you know, obey your masters. Obey your masters. Yeah, the and you ran away because they're so treat, cool. Right. <laughs> Go back as well. Right. So, so, so there is kind of that that, and again, cultural context, right? Cultural Absolutely. context. So, uh, yeah, it's still wrong. I'm I'm never gonna say that. Trust me, yeah. neither am I. <laughs> no, of course you're not. Like, <laughs> of course you're but, not. Right, but I'm just saying. Be, be uh, and, and again, this is not the not the danger of reading the Bible, but the danger of reading the Bible and not taking things into context, you know, right. how, how could the Bible say that? Well, because at that time, you know, where we were, were in our human enlightenment and evolution, slavery was not a bad thing. Slavery was right. just like to just, you know, of course, tell that to the slaves. But the point was, here we are now in the, you know, early 1900s, mid 1900s, you know, slavery is yep. supposed to be over, but people are still being treated as if they were, you know, again, second and third class citizens. So what's the point of a theology 
that's not helping and changing that. So I think there is value in sometimes in certain contexts, um, um, uh, tweaking the message to inspire even more hope mm-hmm. in, in a people. Does black liberation theology yeah. still uh, need to have a place in our society today? I don't know, but yes. you can talk to enough black people who still feel oppressed, you know? So I, I think, I think there's a, there's, there's a purpose for that. And don't you think all theology is contextual? I mean, think about, even think about yourself and as a preacher and how you may preach differently in a given setting as you get to know a congregation, your message often will arrive in a way that you know will be meaningful to those particular people in that time and place. And you might preach differently if you're guest preaching in somewhere else or in a different setting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely less gentle when I'm guest speaking. Like when I'm guest speaking, <laughs> I, I, I poke the bear a lot more because then I don't got to stay around for the fallout. <laughs> wow. wow. I, I guess I feel like I'm the opposite. <laughs> I was going to say, I think a lot of people do the exact opposite. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't want to, I don't so, want to upset the people who are putting the money in the office. I think I feel like, braver with my own people to be yeah, risky, oh, yeah. actually. Because we have a relationship. Yes. Because we have a relationship and they know that if, if, I say something that they feel is wrong or just, you know, blatantly wrong. They also know that I don't use the pulpit. I don't, I'm not a bully pulpit person. So if I'm saying, if I'm, then it's something I'm, I'm truly meaning and I'm, I'm in that place right now. And you know, that kind of deal. But I guess the reason why I asked that question and and I'm in a, I'm in a very specific place right now. um, So I may look back on this moment and go, you should have just shut up. But <laughs> I guess I'm feeling a little bit like, um, you know, now here we are 50 years later, 50 years post, you know, black liberation theology being introduced. And it's now been taken into the hands of white people and accepted by massive progressive white churches. Um, and it's, isn't that a little dangerous isn't that kind of theology dangerous in the hands of of me for instance and and not like me specifically but people like me and i guess what i mean by that is is it's not that like groups can't can't um use theology that wasn't for them i think liberation theology has been extremely helpful in the um, LBGTQ community yeah. to understand, you know, themselves, right? And I guess what I mean is, is that, you know, Ogan, you talked about, like, we're not at blatant racists anymore, right? We're at this very veiled racism. Well, I mean, there, we are at blatant racism also. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was veiled until about it two was years ago. <laughs> right. but, but it's still veiled in progressive circles. Like right. it's very, well, that's it's right. Still, that's right. There's still and, systems and structures that, that embody racist things. Absolutely. And, and they don't even understand that they're coming from a place that is rooted in racism, right? And, right? and things like this. And yet they've adopted this kind of theology and they've, they're even out there like teaching racism classes and blah, 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 like let's, you know, waking up white and things like that, you know, listen, all of listen, listen. those wonderful things. Listen, 
black folk are so used to white folk co-opting things they create that uh, i mean you know what's what's one more thing <laughs> i mean oh what's gosh. our theology oh, <laughs> we're, we're man. the course you know not that it's okay but it's just like what are we gonna do right it's just, but but to your to your point to your point you know yes because some other group created or used it does it mean that no other group can use it as well which um i don't i don't think it's a simple yes or no um question i think it's you know so i i have a friend who is uh she's white and for um uh, she loves african drumming i mean she studied it right she's worked with some master drummers like you know she's a better drummer than i ever will be um and and she kept finding it increasingly uncomfortable to be this white person going to venues where there's a primarily black audience and other black drummers. Yeah. And she's really self-conscious who, you know, thinking that they're thinking in her head, she's thinking that they're thinking who is this white woman trying to come and, right. you know, take our thing. So she talked to her black teachers about it and they said, no, are you kidding me? If, if we don't teach this to people and they don't keep passing it on, it's going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're black, if you're white, if you're yellow, if you're brown. The fact that someone is auth- authentically in love with Absolutely. this and trying to keep it alive, we are all for it. Um, yeah, and I, so there's a piece of that too. If you're coming from that place of authentic love and wanting to keep it going, if you're coming from a place of "oh, this is cool and I want to co-opt it," so maybe I can I can be the center of attention or I can you know, appear cool or whatever, I think it all, the motivation and intent is the thing that determines if you should be using it or not. Yeah. Right. And so for me, where Black liberation theology and where I have been encouraged by mentors who are, you know, like scholars and experts in it is to understand what my place is in it, right? Mm -hmm. So my place is in it to see that if I believe that God is on the side of the oppressed, as a woman, that means something very real to me, right? As a person, a white woman in America, that means something different to me, right? When we often talk about, like, <laughs> Ogan, you were asking, like, which one are these? Are we, are we, um, so are we spiritual thought leaders? Are we activists? Are we, right. you know, artists? Like, when I talk about activism and how it's rooted in my faith, this is right. what I'm talking about. It's rooted in my faith because I believe in liberation theology. And um, I, when you, when you look at racism, I believe God is very clearly a black I man, mean, a black woman. A bl- a black woman. Right. That's exactly. Woman. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's all of that, but my place in that is to work for justice in right. that my place isn't to become a victim in that right now. Right. So, so again, this is kind of a, we take the theology, we open it up, we look at it, we study it. Of course we should do that. But I also should understand, you know, the time, the place. I mean, we were having a conversation about predestination not too long ago. I need to understand that time and place of where that theology came from also. Right. Right. That's right. Right. And how that's also been used to keep people enslaved and oppressed. (laughs) You're you're, you're a slave because clearly this is God's will. (laughs) Right. 
Right. And as you said about, you know, Brian's grandfather, like that's a very privileged view that you're look like, because you, even though, you know, it's like saying, well, like, well, none of us know that we're elect, but right. I mean, let's be honest. I'm elect. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> wink. I mean, let's just be honest about yeah. that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I mean, we know who the elect people are. And so, and so we talked, you know, we asked earlier, what do some non-liberation theologies focus on? And we have this quote from uh, preacher Tim Keller, uh, who's yeah. a white conservative, uh, pretty well-known pastor in New York City. And he tweeted just within the last week, unless you believe in hell, you will never know how much Jesus loves you. I'm just, I'm just shaking my head for the for folks not watching the big thing. Yikes! He's also a major complementarian and women. Yeah, he's he's an anti anti women anti LGBTQ. So that's the thinking I grew up around. I mean, that's it. Right. That's what I grew up with. Right. That that hell was to scare you into believing in God. That 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 was like like that God actually created hell and this devil to get you right yeah and god is glorified in the punishment of sinners or something absurd right some jonathan edwards on steroids right and or just john piper and that that, exactly (laughs) and that that was love right that's right that was i mean that's the thing is it wasn't just focused on this negative worldview that was the definition of love oh my gosh yes god loves you so much what the hell is wrong with you people? Pun intended. Yeah, not yeah, exactly. The right words. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's yeah. a very it's it's a very dualistic thought. And as human beings, we tend to live, we tend to view the world in 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 a dualistic perspective. We got opposites, hot and cold, you know, wet and dry, you know. So we tend to interact with the world that way, and we've transposed that onto our theology. You know, there's God good so there must be some opposite but 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 it doesn't work that way and no one i think one can not think i know one can be steeped in experience of god as love and god's love without fearing the opposite at all god's you know god right yeah there there isn't there isn't this duality that's that's a really really um limited it's not like god is love but don't cross him right that's an abusive relationship so that's where i came in life right yeah that is an abusive relationship but it's also a very parental relationship because we know our parents love us but we also know that if we step out of line we could get punished so so whether it's abusive abusive or not that's 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 not necessarily an abusive parent-child relationship but it's a parent-child relationship and if you want to view God in a parent-child relationship, then that's the logical conclusion you're going to go to. If I step out of line, I'll be punished. But you you have the choice to not view your relationship with God as a parent-child relationship. There are other options. Well, and no, but no, even if you hold to that parent-child relationship, no parent would ever uh, punish a child for eternity and torture. I, mean, I don't know when my when my mother was on a roll. It felt pretty long. Oh, right. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I do think I do think there are parents. I mean, 
I do think there are parents that come from very much from, I do this for your own good. Right. Oh yes. Very like that is, I actually think that 99% of the people who I today even will hear and argue that like people, what's wrong with the world is that we don't beat our kids enough. Right. And, and their argument is how will they, it's this same logic. How will they know? How will they know to do right? If I don't, if I don't punish them, if I don't give them this kind of like, and what I've never understood is that like my children, like my children do not need physical punishment. Like they, my children have that, like, Oh my God, mommy's upset with me. What? Like the world is ending. Like, and I'm actually having to deal with that as their parent, as their authority figure. Like if you can't scare your kids with a look, you're not doing it right. You gotta well, be able to just do and it. And I have, I have never laid a hand on my child in in any like. I'm kidding. I mean, yeah. well, I, you know, they're they're the moments that, um, you know, let's like as parents when we're honest, we're like, our there's just this physical there. There's this physical response, and you're able mm-hmm. to restrain that. You know, it's like if there has been that and I can't lie about that. There has been moments where it was so close and I am the most passive person ever. Right. Oh, every and, parent. can. But every that. parent has that. That's just a reality because you're exhausted and right. you're tired and your child is getting on your nerves and blah, blah, blah. And, and yet for me, there's absolutely no excuse for going through with it. Right. You right. know? And, um, the, the other side of all of that for me is the, what really gets you internally is the like, I'm disappointed in you. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's that question of like, here's your, here's our discussion question for the next week. Right. When we get to the pearly gates, <laughs> what is it, what is it that we want God to say to us? Right. I love yes. that question. My yeah, favorite yeah, yeah. question. Classic, you know, and like, this is, if, if this is what I need in motivation, then like, so be it. I don't need beating and I don't need a threat of hell. Like my motivation is I want to go to heaven. Not that I believe that heaven is an actual place, blah, 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 blah. And for God to say to me, you did good kid. You know, you did good. Yeah. Like, I don't want to disappoint God. That is a way enough motivation for me to live a good life. (laughs) There's way more motivation. I don't need the threat of eternal damnation. Why, why use violence when you can use guilt and shame? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so this view uh, that Keller has, right, that unless you believe in hell, you'll never know how much Jesus loves you. So it's this idea that Jesus' death uh, was sort of this um, theological uh, key moment, right, which shifted something with God. And James Cone makes an analogy to the cross, uh, to the lynching tree, in American uh, history and, and experience for African-Americans and whites who either participated or sat idly by. And he says, uh, the lynching tree, which is so similar, strikingly similar to the cross, should have a prominent place in American images of Jesus, but it does not. And so how might that, even just paralleling this idea of lynching to uh, Jesus' death, which was a, you know, state-sponsored execution how might that shift a view on that jesus death was only to create eternal salvation or from hell so it's funny you mentioned that because they only recently just opened like a national lynching memorial or something yeah right in alabama yeah in alabama 
And there's been an act, there's been an interesting backlash, of course, from white America, who's like, why do we need this? Right, right. <laughs> you, you know, which, which, you know, on a more optimistic level, it's like, why do we need this reminder of all the horrible crap that we did? But mm. I think it's more, again, that idea of, you know, why do we need to create a memorial again for a people who generally, culturally, even if not actively, but subtly, we don't want to be equal with us. Okay. So I think, I, I think this point about, about lynching is putting it again into a cultural context yeah. that, that African-Americans at that time when it was happening can understand. And in a sense, I think both, um, I, I don't want to say find some, find some hope in it. There's, there, I mean, there, there's nothing hopeful about seeing, hearing, experiencing, knowing somebody who, who was lynched. But one can understand it from a sacrificial place. If one, if one equates it with the story of Jesus, as in sacrifices are made, were yeah. made, Jesus' sacrifice being the big one, um, in order for there to be a more long-standing sense and experience of freedom. So I can see that parallel happening. Again, it's a contextual thing. Um, but again, it, it also is, are you, are you subscribing to the point that Jesus died to save your sins, which I don't um, anymore. So it's kind and, of a point there. And so would you say uh, such a death provides a sense of freedom for people who feel threatened but are actually in a position of power in order to effectuate such a death? I right? think in so many like, ways it, it, becomes, it still becomes a symbol of hope. This is a horrible, tragic thing we're experiencing, but just as Jesus' death led to a greater hope, can we use these horrible incidences to yeah. to 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 wow. open us up to a bigger hope as well? A bigger. It's a hard a image, though, isn't it? It's, it's it is, of course it's it is stark That's and so hard, and 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 the way you're framing it. Wow, to try to find but those hope are in the that, most. Right? Those are the most powerful meaning uh, metaphors and images. The ones that are the most stark, the ones that hit us more. That's that's why we, you know, we 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 have the image of Jesus nailed on the cross as something that, you know, is is to remind us, right? I mean, yeah. we 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 got more we got more crosses than Jesus and crosses than we have empty tombs. I mean, of one course. time you see an empty tomb is yeah. Easter. No one's walking around with necklaces of empty tombs, which and is so Je- And so Jesus was a threat to uh, the religious, the Jewish religious establishment uh, and as well um, local Roman leadership and so forth. And African-Americans were seen as a threat to whites, right? That they were trying to claim their own lives and their own livelihood and have any kind of a place in society. And that was seen as a threat. And you could be lynched for looking at a white person the wrong way. I mean. And, and the lie under it was that um, blacks and minorities, and this is still the lie being um, perpetuated in many ways to this day, that blacks and minorities want to take over from. It's not about wanting to take over from, it's mm-hmm. just wanting the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not taking over over from. So when that lie becomes part of your worldview, then of course, it leads you to a place of fear. When we're scared, 
we do horrible things to each other. And, and yet it's not, I mean, it's not wanting more than right. But it, but it, it, so there's, there's kind of two views on this, right? There's the like, Hey guys, this isn't pie, right? There's enough for everybody. <laughs> like if right. I take a slice, that doesn't mean there's a one less slice for you. Right. right. And yet we, when, when asking um, anybody, right. When asking for an equality, then um, there, there is a shift of, if for nothing else, perceived power. And, and, and I think that's, you know, I think Jesus and the, the religious leaders of the wanting to keep status quo is a, like, this is why that is so powerful to me is because, you know, Jesus is, is, going, wow, this is so far, this is how far you've come that this is what you require of me hmm. because you are, you, your status quo is your God. And so right. you're willing to kill me for even speaking out against it. Right. right. And that, that's the equation of, of the lynching tree, right? You're willing yeah. to lynch me for even daring to exist. That's exactly right. That's in a world that's not your rules, right. Or your right. step, like your whatever. And, 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 you know, even the veil, even not veiled, but even the potential threat. Yeah, the perception. Perception, right? Even that is questioned. And and it's so hard and it's so sad and it's something that we should grapple with on this level um, and, and leave room in there for those of us who... Um, whether we choose it or not, I think that's part of the key, right? Part of the argument back is like, well, I, you know, you didn't choose to be born black. I didn't choose to be born white either. I didn't give myself this privilege, like, right, but I have it. And, right. and the lack of acknowledgement, right? right? I know what I look like in the world. I know what my husband looks like in the world. Like, you, you just have to have that understanding to be open enough to say, it doesn't matter whether or not I gave it to myself or I want it, right. yeah, I have it. Yep. I think that was my favorite response from that whole Starbucks incident where, right. where the white folk were like, oh, wait, this whole, this is a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, my we, goodness. No one's ever called the police on us for hanging out in a Starbucks or using the bathroom without buying something or waiting for somebody else. Wait, this really happens. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I am black America's like, yes. <laughs> like this I am people. dumbfounded by people's ignorance. And yet I am also consistently blindsided by racism. Right. Like sure. I, sure. I, I, both of those can exist. You know, that's right. That's ab right. Ab absolutely. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know is already ingrained in you that hasn't been actively, you know, taught to you. Right. You know, um, or, but, but again, this is in a, in, in a way, I, I think when, you know, me, the eternal optimist and people ask me about, you know, what is good about this time and the people in power and this crazy president that we have and, you know, what, I, I say, I, I think the fact that this type of power is in control now, we get to see that it's a real thing. It exists. Mm -hmm. It's trying to have its way. And we get to decide who, if this is who we want to be as a nation and as a people. And some of us are clearly saying yes. Some of us are clearly saying no. 
some right. of us apparently are just awakening to the question <laughs> still. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and we get to choose now. And that is exactly, I guess, my point about what good black liberation, what good James Cone did mm-hmm. for progressive white people is to be able to study that and say, yeah. okay, now I need to, right? Like that's the work of, of that, that's the work for um, the oppressors, quite quote unquote, in this story of liberation theology. Um, and that's how, when we read it, to read it in that way and, and to not read it in a way that, um, that we become the oppressed, you know, in that, like, that's where like black people are used to white people co-opting things and blah, 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 blah. But we have to read it in a different way, but it's, it, is it important for us to read? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's important for the community that which it was intended. So, you know, um, reading the cross and the lynching tree for African-American people is so important to sit there and say, oh my gosh, God loves me in this way, like in this place, you know, I can be joyful also from the love that God has for me and not just feel that I am terrible and horrible for nothing I haven't any control over. And then for, us to for for me and i'll speak for myself you know to read it in a way that says okay my job is to right is to not speak for or um but to listen to right and my job is to in a setting where i'm in a bunch of white people is to speak up you know but still not speak for you know all of these kind of things is that's our work yeah um in all of this so it's important. It's just really important work to do. Um, and we're always learning all of us. We're always learning and growing and moving in this world. Indeed. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Very good. Very good. So we, we, uh, and we have this last little verse, uh, from John chapter eight, uh, which says if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And when I hear that, I think, Free indeed, to me, sounds like not just free in theory, but free in actuality and free Mm -hmm. at the multiple levels that one requires freedom. And so that is at a a societal level, at a personal level, at a communal level, at a a life beyond level. Um, It can't only be a you're free to not be punished in hell forever or something like that. It has to be broader to the here and now to actually be freedom. Um, don't you think? I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm... I, no, I think that um, if you, if, if you're coming from a place that, you know, um, that Tim Keller is, then I, I still argue that if you're coming from Jesus being this, the great savior of all the sins, then I still argue with you that, then there's no more hell either, right? Like I, I, your logic does, I mean, it's not just logic, like this, it doesn't make sense. You're, you're in circular arguments and, right. and you're saying things that you want to be real. And, and, and yes, we all experience God in different ways, but there's a toxic way to experience God. And I think that's it. Yeah. But I agree. Like, and I, that's also, I mean, this is where we may disagree, but that's something that I don't, that freedom to me doesn't come until death. Like, okay. 
And that's something that did happen through um, the story of Jesus, right? Right, right. That, or at least, let me put it this way, at least that was the argument of what the Messiah was supposed to be, Yeah, um, was that there would be freedom in all things. Yeah, so I just, uh, I don't want to get into this now, but maybe we can in a future episode, but I just watched uh, Come Sunday on Netflix, uh, yeah. story of Bishop Carlton Pearson, African-American preacher, uh, pretty conservative, traditional uh and he went to visit an uncle of his in prison. His uncle had said to him, I want to get saved. And then he got there and his uncle's like, actually, I need help like getting out on parole and I need a letter and a good word. And he's like, wait, you're not here to get saved? And he decided not to help him because he had such a narrow theological view of what freedom or help or even doing the right thing was. And I think that was like a microcosm of where too narrow of a theological view of the freedom God wants us to have can make us miss the opportunities to embody Jesus right now. Right. In, in, in the, and to put the uh, unity metaphysical spin on it, uh, the, the, it, 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 it is our innate divinity that, that when we live from it gives us the spiritual freedom. When we are spiritually free, we are free in all aspects of life. It leads to our mental freedom or emotional freedom or, or physical freedom or, or economical freedom freedom and freedom meaning being at peace with you're not in conflict you're not imprisoned by you're not you're not held back by you can be the fullness of who you are in all these aspects of your life which you know ain't entirely different from what any y'all are saying nice oh but well said thank you i have a way with words (laughs) there we go there we go go. any any other final final thoughts or wisdoms wisdoms Wisdom, wisdoms, wisdoms. I don't, um, I don't know. Um, I'm a, um, uh, I'm officially not necessarily related to this, but I'm, I'm officially now really looking forward to the wild goose event. I wasn't before <laughs> because, because of the accommod, the potential accommodation situation. Yeah, well, like nature on, and all that stuff. Yeah, like nature. <laughs> I got online, and like all the inns and hotel rooms were booked solid. No room You're at the end. Out. There you was are. no room in the inn, and I started like freak out a little bit. Exactly, and then I found this amazing glamping site, and nice, you know, the fact that you can build me a tent and actually put a, like a real bed in it, and I got a shower like across the field there, and uh, I'm like, you know what, this might not, this may not be so bad. Um, so, so Sweet. now I feel free. I feel free. Free. Um, and be relaxed. Sweet. Yeah, friends, join us there. Like, I think it'll be fun. I really do. I mean, we have our, like, what, we're going to be doing stuff for, like, an hour and a half, and the rest of the time. Yeah, the rest of the time we're free. Exactly. Yeah. It's going to be we'll great. Hang out with us. We are free. It's going to be great. Free yeah. indeed. Derek would requested the least amount. Of, he goes, I don't care what we do. If we sleep on the floor, if we sleep in a bed, just the least amount of mosquitoes, please. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pup Theology Live. You can, of course, connect with us on social media and please spread the word there. And you can listen anytime, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. Please rate us on iTunes because then we can know what you think about the show and that helps other people find us. You can watch us on YouTube or the New Thought channel. And if you'd like to find or create a pup theology gathering in your town, there's info at puptheology.com slash directory. 
And thank you again to our sponsor, Wink Wine Club. That's Wink with a C, who you'll find at trywink.com slash ptlive. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. So do you think we're going to hear uh, about the lack of pass or pour? Mm, no, I don't think we will put <laughs> I don't think we'll hear a thing. I don't, I don't, I don't think or, we'll Or we'll hear thank you for not doing pass or pour. <laughs> there, there's, there's that possibility. <laughs> Let's just be clear. <laughs> oh. uh, all right. I actually got to get going. We are, yeah. uh, we're going to go get the get the keys to our new place. Hey, awesome. Woohoo! Great, great joy and great anxiety all at the same time. Yay. Great. Sure. Looking wow. forward to it. Good. Good. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. All right. Bye. We'll see you next week. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>